Good morning. Our scripture for today is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 1 to 10. The whole commandments that I command you today you shall be careful to, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he, may, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments, the Lord of your God, by walking in his way and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valley and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees, and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank Dave for stepping in on piano. Muyo on guitar. Yeah, Beth uh, woke up yesterday with uh, vertigo, uh, swinging rooms, and uh, settled down a bit today, but she couldn't come and play. We're hoping that she can get to her, call her doctor tomorrow. Lucky enough, I had maybe the same thing a year ago, and I had some meds stashed. Steve, I'm not sure I should do this, but I had some meds stashed from that time. It said, it sounds like what I had, Beth. Try one of these. So she did. Seemed to help a little bit. So anyway, who knows, some sort of bug. Also want to know that after, at note after the service, a uh, few of us are meeting regarding baptism that uh, we're going to do on Palm Sunday. So there's a few who are noted and wanting to be baptized. So if you are really keen on that one, come speak to me too. But we're going to meet in my messy office afterwards to uh, chat a little bit about baptism. So that's going on same time the Habar group will be going, then hopefully our group can get over there fast enough. Okay, so we're looking at uh, Jesus, the bread of life in the season of Lent. So Lent is the period of 40 days leading up to Easter. And it's not followed in every church tradition. Uh, some do, liturgical churches follow the 
liturgical calendar more, but um, it is something that many churches are aware of, um, at least try to hit the main points, like Lent leading to Easter, Advent leading to Christmas, Pentecost after Easter to celebrate the Holy Spirit's coming. So we know that we can do any of these things at any time, but the, the following the liturgical calendar we feel has some merit, so that's what we've been doing over the last number of years. So this Sunday is the second Sunday of Lent. And we're using a variety of texts, and uh, this text is from the book of Deuteronomy, which is uh, maybe the most important book in the Old Testament um, for the Jewish community. The Shema is Deuteronomy 6.3. Remember, O Israel, the Lord your God, and know him with your heart, your soul, and your mind. That's the Shema, to remember and to celebrate his presence with us. And so a lot of key verses that are noted by Jesus in the Gospels come out of the book of Deuteronomy. And interesting enough that during his temptation in the desert, and so Lent tracks those 40 days of Christ in the desert, that's where um, the season has come from. Each time that Jesus interacts with the, the devil, the tempter in the wilderness, he cites Deuteronomy. So the three temptations are noted and responded by Jesus from this book. So it just shows how important the book was and even how important the book was to Jesus. So when we look at this text today, uh, Christ knew it well. He cited it. And so we're on holy ground when we look at the book of Deuteronomy. So it... The context is verse 1. This entire commandment that I command you today, you must diligently observe, Moses says. So he's going to go on and talk about this famous verse. But this entire commandment, so just to note, that reference is going back to Deuteronomy 5, where the, all of the commandments are given, the Ten Commandments. So the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, falls in two places in the Old Testament happens in Exodus 20, and it happens in Deuteronomy 5. So when it says this entire commandment, Moses is looking back to that group of Ten Commandments and is saying, this I command you today to diligently observe. So the reference back to the commandment are the commandments. So the Ten Commandments, various churches are still read regularly, right? You're aware of the Ten Commandments at some, at some level. But you also know, it says, this entire commandment that I command you today. So when it says that, you today, then that also speaks to us. It speaks to us today. It speaks to you, it speaks to me, and it speaks today. So that's the idea. When the writer wrote this, he's speaking to the Jewish community through all the years. Thousand years, two thousand years longer. You today, whenever that is read, it's speaking to you and to me. And so we are part of this story. If we hear this, then the writer is speaking to us these many years later. So Moses is 1,500 years before Jesus. We are 2,000 years after Jesus. So for 3,500 years, this text has been spoken out. 
And so on this sunny day here in Toronto today, we are invited to hear God's word. You today draws us in. So you can, you know, you and I, we can sit in our pews, talk, and not really be aware of it, or we can try to clue in and listen to what the writer is saying. So that's the invitation as we begin. Then it goes on and it looks at verse 3, which is our key verse today. He humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna, with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted, in order to make you understand, and here's the key verse, that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So in Lent, we are using a variety of bread images to help us think about Jesus as the bread of life. So here's the key idea. I want you to understand and remember, one does not live by bread alone. Man or woman, that's not what we could live by, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's what the writer is saying. And so as we move on, then we see a call to remember, and we call to remember what? Well, this is the prime directive. The prime directive is the beginning of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Remember who you are and whose you are. That's Brueggemann's text later. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. And that is a standing invitation, whether we are in the Jewish community or as Christians today. Any faith group, you shall have no other God before me. Why? Because God is the creator. God is the creator of the universe. And if he's creator, then we are creature. And so we are to recognize that dynamic. God is creator, we are creature, and we are to develop that relationship with him. God, the great universe maker. I listened to a video yesterday, and it was BBC, and it was a nine-year-old child, and the nine-year-old child is asking a scientist, well, what was there before the universe? That was her question. Like, okay, I get there's a big universe. What was there before the universe came? That was her question, pretty good question. So God creates the universe. Well, what happened before the universe? What was going on in that? Of course, lots of scientists have different theories on that. Maybe there were multiple universes. Maybe there were thousands of universes, and this is God's try with us. Maybe this is the new universe. I don't know. Scientists wonder about such things. But the point is, is that God is the creator of the universe. He is the maker Scientists gave a few answers, didn't go that way, but that's what the scriptures teach us. God creates, and so we are invited to be in relationship with him. You today, is he our God, truly, or do we have other things before him in our hearts and in our minds? You know that. And we, in theory, we can say that God is first, but in practice, is God first? Or in practice, are we attached to different things? And that's really what's first. 
That's what we hunger for. So the prime directive to Israel and to us, I would suggest, keep God center so that we know who we are because we know whose we are. That's the first statement. And it's a call to humility and trust because if God is the creator and we're the creature, then that's an invitation to trust, an invitation to depend. And if you look at the text, twice that word humble is there, to humble us, to remind us when the children are in the wilderness that God is God and that we need to look to him to hang in there. We can't do it on our own. And it's interesting in verse 2. Let me just read this again. Remember the Lord, remember the long way that the Lord your God has led you in these 40 years in the wilderness, note, in order to humble you. Now hear this, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. Verse 3, he humbled you. God tests us to see if we will keep his commandments. That's what the writer is saying. Interesting. So God wants to know, right? He's testing you. He wants to know if you and I will keep his commandments. He wants to know. Now, does that mean he doesn't know? He really wants to know? Maybe he knows from a big picture but wants to know closer up? He wants to know what you're going to do. He wants to know how you will live your life. He wants to know what you'll do with your time, your life. Will you honor me? The Lord is asking. Will you humble yourself? Will you trust in me? So that's the second bit. And not to forget him when we have, you know, more. If we are experiencing prosperity in some way, not to forget God. The writer goes on to talk about that later on, verses 10 and 11. When you are settled in the land, when you've built your big fancy houses, don't forget me then. So will we forget God in our lives? Will we forget God? We think of through our life, beginning, fragility as babies. We go to the end of our lives, the fragility of our, youth, of our older age. And then those middle years, those are the power years. In those times of power in some way, will you forget me? That's what the writer is asking. Or will we stay humble and keep trusting in him? So the prime detect directive is one, follow God, look to him, number one, to do so in humility and trust, and then to be hungry for God's word. Verse three, one does not live by bread alone, <clears throat> but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Will we be hungry? We're gonna sing that song after the sermon. What do we hunger for? Will we hear him live in obedience? Will we stay in God's word? Hannah said to me a few weeks back, hope you don't mind me saying Hannah, we got to keep reading the word every day, all through the whole week. Not just at the end of, not on Sundays, but all the time. It's a good point. Will we hunger for God's word? And that then brings us to the statement of Jesus. Here's the link to Christ. The tempter comes to Jesus in the desert. 
Note, the tempter, that's his name. One of the names for the devil is the tempter. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, Note, it is written. Jesus' response to the tempter is, It is written. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's how Jesus responds to the tempter when the tempter knows he's famished and weak physically, probably weak mentally and spiritually. He's just drained at that point. Imagine 40 days in the desert with no food. You're going to be very, very weak. And you have the power to turn all these stones in the Judean desert into bread. You could have a whole bakery there if you want. And the devil comes to him and hits him at that point. I know you're really hungry. That's why it's the first temptation. I know that's what you really want right now. So why don't you just go ahead and do it? Turn the stones to bread. Satisfy your hunger right now. You can do that. What's the harm in doing that? God wants you to be full. Do it. Jesus doesn't do it. And he says, and it, it strikes me, that's why we have it in bold here, it is written. <laughs> he goes back to the scriptures. It is written. One does not live by bread alone. That's his answer. Wow. The power of that answer. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You know, the story, if you look at that reference of the temptation, it's in the various Gospels. We're told that at the end, after three temptations, we don't know how long they go, Jesus is tempted, and each time he responds with Scripture. And then the text tells us that finally the angels come and minister to him. So how did that go down? Does Jesus just sit, you know, like behind a rock and everything's comfortable after 40 days in the desert? I don't think so. Maybe he is totally out of it. That's what I think. Totally out of it. Maybe unconscious. Just lying on the ground in the desert. How would you be after 40 days? And in that situation, quote, the angels come along and help him. And when, you know, when the word says angels, angels means messenger. Some messenger comes and helps him. It doesn't have to be angels coming down from heaven with wings, right? It doesn't have to be. Jesus is there, I say unconscious, somebody comes along and helps him. The text says angels. Well, maybe they weren't angel angels. Maybe there were two or three good people who come along and find him and draw him back to strength. I'm not saying so, but maybe. The scriptures say angels came. We don't know that part of the story. But what we know is that God provided and he was restored. Wouldn't that be cool if you happened to be the person that came along and helped restore Jesus? Wow. You just see him as an ordinary guy. Wow, what's this guy doing out here? 
He's, he's heart, is he alive? And they start pushing him. I don't know. Angels come. Interesting. Angels maybe who have showed up in your life. New Testament tells us that we are ministered at various times by angels. Who are those angels? Maybe you've been an angel to people in need. Most likely, most likely you have. They see you as an angel. You know, maybe they look back and remember some guy helped me, some woman helped me. Anyway, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. So it is written. Now, if that's the case, then it, I say, behooves us, it calls us to remember and be in the Word. So let God's Word be the manna that feeds us. I mean, how do we handle temptation? Because we're tempted. The tempter comes to you. The tempter comes to me. The tempter hasn't stopped his work, right? The tempter's going to keep tempting you all the way through your life. Till the day you die. And you can be as strong as anything in your faith. The tempter doesn't give up, and he will keep going after you and after me. That's his job. And he's there to bring you down. And he doesn't say, oh, man, that person's like whatever. He's like a rock. I'll never bother him again. He's going to go after you for sure. That's his role, the tempter. So how do we handle that? Well, part of it, Jesus says, it is written. It is written. So, yeah, we need to make God's word key to us. Jesus relied on it. It is written. So what about you? What about me? In our daily journey, in our temptations, how do we handle it? God's Word is a great gift. But it's only a gift, you know, if we read it, right? Lots of families have an old family Bible. I had a guitar, a guitar student that goes back how many years? Man, this goes back till I was about 25 or 26. He worked in the government. And he had a big old family Bible, about 100 years old. And he knew what I was doing. And he says, maybe, maybe, he brings it to me at my, one of my classes. And he said, hey, here, maybe you would like this. It's the family Bible. It's hardly holding together. I still have it. Maybe you want this. So I said, Okay, take it. Old family Bible. He didn't want it. He wasn't reading it. Might as well give it to somebody. So are we in it? Are we in it? Really? Are you in it? Am I in it? How do we handle? I mean, that's the question. How do we handle the challenges that we face? Regardless of where we are in that arc of life, whatever season we're in. So the first call is to remember. Remember again. Remember again who you are, whose you are. And Jesus does that in the middle of the desert, 40 days. And the word helps him. And finally, the angels come, whoever they are, and they restore him. And what happens after that? After the desert experience, he launches into his public ministry. That's it. 
after that. He's victorious after that. He goes, he establishes his home in Capernaum, and that's where he announces today the good news begins today. And Jesus starts a community. He starts gathering disciples around him. That's, but it's all after this. So we're traveling through Lent to help us prepare for Easter. You today. Something can happen in your life today. You today. Because you're a chooser. You're invited to choose. I'm invited to choose. Not be a non-chooser. Choose. This day. Can we do that? What's the invitation for God? Call to remember. Member again. The wheel of life can turn. It keeps going. Let's, let's go with it. Move on with him. So we read a little bit then the next bit. Call to trust. The clothes on your back did not wear out, and your feet did not swell these 40 years. Metaphors there. Know then in your heart that as a parent disciplines a child, so the Lord God disciplines you. We don't like to hear that. We don't like to hear that God disciplines us. But the take home, therefore keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. So if we're called to remember, then we're called to trust. To trust in him. God provided for Jesus. And God provides for us. At the time, we don't necessarily see the provision. I say here that life is an education. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 25, look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. God provides for them. He will provide for you. In the moment, we don't always see it that way. In the moment, it can be like one big hole we're in. But when we look back, oftentimes we see how God worked in that. Remember, God's timing is not your timing. And that's not an out, right? That's not an out. That's just the way it is. God's perspective is bigger than ours. His timing is bigger than yours or mine. So just because you're praying for such a change to happen and it doesn't happen right away, that doesn't mean it won't. Life is an education, is it not? You look back on your life and you can see areas where you've learned, you've grown, you've seen that. And you still want to change in ways. I want to change. Well, he's helped me in the past. He will help you. That's, that's the call, God's provision. I'm sure the Israelites in the desert, I mean, we know. Manna. Man, I don't want any more manna. I'm sick and tired of manna. Give me something else. They cry out. What happens? Finally, God gives them quail. All right, I'll give you quail. Then what happens? They're sick and tired of quail. Give us something else. God says, maybe I'll just send you right back. I mean, you know, we have an issue, it's settled, and then we want another issue. It just goes on and on. <clears throat> We're discontented. We're not real happy. But God does provide. So San was praying. But, you know, there are people in our midst who are really struggling right now, and there are, right? There are folk in our church family who family members are really not well right now. What, what does it, what's it going, what's the future going to be? It doesn't necessarily look bright. So we, we all, you know, what we need to do is 
be with them, strengthen do what we can, certainly uplift them in prayer. That, that's, that's what we can do. Life is an education. Finally, we all get to the other side and we look back and we can say, okay, yeah, it can still be very painful, still hurts. But life is an education. God does provide. We saw it in Jesus' story. So for you and for me, God provides. We need to look to him. We don't know how it'll all work out. You keep praying. Keep acting, right? Thirdly, we walk in his ways. That's finally what we're invited to do. Walk. Look at verse 10. You shall bless the God, Lord your God for his goodness. Walk. So what helps us to revere God? What helps us to fear God? What helps us to walk with God? After all these years. Good thing. I mean, a bunch of you have been walking with God for a long time. That's great. <laughs> You've been doing it. That's excellent. You're on the road and you're still walking. Terrific. You haven't given up. You walk. So I'm suggesting there on that slide, well, prayer helps us walk. Praise helps us walk. The scriptures, it is written, helps us walk. Community helps us walk. But we, we, we're all invited to participate in that, right? Merton Wright wrote at one point, you know, no man, he wrote, no man is an island. No person is an island. Well, we need each other to help us here. But in another way, finally, it is your walk. <laughs> no man is an island, and at the same time, we're solitary men and women. Paradox. We need each other, but finally, you've got to walk your walk. You need to respond to the Spirit. I need to respond to the Spirit. Finally, we're going to have a sit-down with God, right? Really. We're going to have a sit-down. And he's going to say, okay, let's talk about it. Your solitary walk. Creature before creator. We say, how, how could that happen? How, how could that ever happen? Billions of people, how could that ever happen? It'll happen. God's got all the time in the world to do these things. So we need to take that seriously. Before God, let's wake up. Let's walk with him. It's the best route anyway. You're not going to figure out a better route than that. No, God is creator, creator, savior, lover. He is for us. That's the best route. But often we say, no, nah, I don't know. There's got to be a better route than that. And we try. You know what? We live our whole lives trying to figure out the better route. And there is no better route. Oftentimes we figure that out at the very end. So why not figure it out ahead of time? So as closing, Lent is a season to remember. To remember Jesus and his life for us. Father, the Christian Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. 
Lent is particularly focused on remember Jesus. Remember Jesus as the bread of life. Walk with him. Know him. John 6, eat him. We're going to do that. Metaphor for closeness. It's a reminder that we do not have the capacity to do it on our own finally. We really don't. And when we come to our end and we are in our hospice and somebody's got to turn you over, you will then know, I don't have the capacity. It's just me in this bed and some nurse that I might not even know. Thanks for that nurse. My dad didn't want anyone he didn't know at the end. He wanted family there. So, we'll learn the lesson. We don't have the capacity. The capacity is God for us. That's the way it's supposed to be. God's the creator, we're the creature. We don't always like to hear that. Thirdly, we're invited to look to Jesus. There's a story of Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher in Britain in the 1800s. I was only 17 years old, okay? We have anybody 17 here? And there's a snowstorm. We just had a big snowstorm. In a snowstorm like that, in the streets of London, he's getting wiped out with this snowstorm. And he just, by chance, turns in to get out of the weather into a little Methodist chapel. He wasn't Methodist. Goes in there. And he hears a little preacher a humble preacher saying, look to Jesus. And he says, I heard that, and I decided, you know what? I'm going to look to Jesus. And he says, that's, that's the moment. 17 years old, totally chance, the weather, he turns in, some preacher, all he kept saying was, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. And Spurgeon said, you know what? I'm going to look to Jesus. Like, it's not that complicated in one way. And that's what he did. And Spurgeon went on to, you know, he, to preach to thousands every, every Sunday. Started with that. Look to Jesus. So, not bad advice. Jesus is the bread of life. He's our soul food. He is the one that we are to keep munching on chewing on Jesus. We say, well, I don't like that diet. I'm going to switch to another diet. And we'll try all kinds of diets. And we're invited to come back and chew Jesus. He's our soul food. So what is your soul food? If Jesus isn't your soul food, what is? What are you chewing on to enrich your spirit and soul? In the Christian tradition, we're invited to chew on Jesus, look to Jesus. He is the author of our faith. Look to him, chew on him. Communion, eat the bread, drink the cup. Symbols to chew on Jesus, look to Jesus. So this second Sunday of Advent, or sorry, Lent, not Advent, Lent, we are invited to look to him, eat him through the whole week, not just today. In Jesus' name, amen.